pray just again as we come to God's Word together. Father, thank you so much for this, this wonderful book of Daniel, and as we return to it after a number of months, yet, Father, please, would the truths that we've seen uh, be so precious again to us, and as we go further, please, would you continue to teach us of, of who you are, of your, your great might and power and sovereignty, uh, that we would be comforted in living in this um, uncertain world, and that we'd be bold in living for you in it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christians live in a, a kind of constant state of tension. So our home is in heaven. That's where, as it were, we belong. That's where we're, we're headed. And yet, obviously, we are here on earth. We, we, our home is in heaven where God is ruling over everything, where his will is done perfectly, where there is no evil and yet we live here on earth where there is so much struggle and strife and evil. And in that sense, our situation is, is actually very similar to the situation that Daniel and his three friends were in in these days in Babylon. Because Jerusalem was their home. That's where they come from. That's where was the place of God's presence in the temple. That was where, in an idealized sense, God's, God's will was done, where he ruled. And yet they weren't there. They were in Babylon. They'd been taken out, and they were living in a hostile place. And the, the question that the book of Daniel answers really is, what does it look like to, to be faithful in Babylon? What does it look like to live when you're far from home? And the, Daniel and his three friends are not just a, an example to us of what it looks like, but an encouragement to us to do the same. And we looked at the first six chapters at uh, the beginning of this year, so a good few months ago now. And today and then the next four weeks, we're going to be finishing the book off. And today, in essence, is a recap of chapters one to six. Uh, and we're doing that for two reasons. Number one is really to remind us, so if you were there in the series, to remind us a bit of what we saw. If you weren't here, don't worry. Hopefully this is going to try and catch you up a little bit. There'll be a lot of um, gaps. I encourage you to read it for yourself. But to try and catch us up a little bit. But secondly, and also very importantly, as we enter chapters 7 to 12, a bit of a kind of warning that to our 21st century kind of westernized ears, it's going to sound and look very strange. Okay, so we're entering into apocalyptic literature. That's a type of literature that is full of vivid imagery and is speaking of things that lay in the future. And because of that difficulty, that is actually full of controversy as well with people having different interpretations. So before we get into that, it is really helpful and really important that we've got the big message of chapters 1 to 6 fresh in our minds, clear in our minds, because the big message of chapters 1 to 6 is also the big message of chapters 7 to 12. And so knowing this is going to keep us steady, keep us um, on the straight and narrow as we enter the, the difficult terrain of chapters 7 to 12. We're not just going to go chapter by chapter, kind of recapping the story. Rather, we're going to use these words of King Darius 
in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 6, which sum up the message so, so well for us. Although I hope your fingers are ready, because we are going to do some flicking through uh, the book to see some of the stories too. King Darius, he was the king of uh, the empire there, uh, the king really of much of the known world. And at the beginning of chapter 6, had made a law that no one could pray to anything, anyone except himself. And now this King Darius writes to all these subjects again in this kind of public press release of this new law. See verse 26. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before God, the God of Daniel. That is some reversal, right? No one can pray to anyone except me. Now he's saying you should all, we should all tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Why? What's brought this reversal about? Well, he now sees, carrying on, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is the big message of the book. God is sovereign. His kingdom alone will last. And he saves his people. King Darius recognizes it here. He's not the first so Daniel himself, just back in chapter 2. I'll put it up on the screen there. We can flip back to it. Chapter 2, verse 20 to 22. Daniel himself is praying, and he answers, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and he dwells as and the light dwells with him. Daniel recognizes that it's God who sets up these kingdoms and his kingdom uh, endures. And then in chapter 4 verse 3 King Nebuchadnezzar the, the king of the Babylonians the one who defeated God's people in the first place He says, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And then King Nebuchadnezzar again at the end of that chapter, uh, chapter 4, still verse 34 and 35, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is the repeated theme through this book. And the points are on your your handout there and will appear on the screen too. And really we have two aims as we go through here. Number one is we're going to see how these three things are shown through the book. And then two, we're going to see how these things about God help us to live faithfully while far from home. So that's what we're going to do. So number one on your sheets there and up here is he is sovereign. Worship him. Worship him alone. So chapter six 
the first kind of part of um, Darius' declaration, for he is the living God, enduring forever. He is the living God, enduring forever. That God is living is that God is active. He is involved with the affairs of mankind. A few verses earlier, in chapter 6, verse 20, where Darius rushes to the den of the lions to see whether God has been able to save Daniel from the lions, well, he said this, O Daniel, servant of the living, living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? See, Daniel's hope, uh, sorry, Darius's hope that Daniel is still alive is because he recognises that God is the living God. He is active. He is able to intervene in the affairs of mankind. And it is barely possible to read a paragraph of this book without seeing God's sovereignty to us hammered home again and again. Just see the starting note. Come back to chapter 1. The book begins with terrible events for God's people. They have been defeated by the Babylonians. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The people have been carried away. But even from the very beginning, we see in verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. We see that God actually is the one overruling in this situation. Later in the chapter, God gave again. He gave Daniel and the three friends favor and abilities in order to flourish while in Babylon. As we go through the book, we see God giving dreams and interpretations to these kings. In chapter 4, God humbles that proud king, Nebuchadnezzar, in the most remarkable way and then restores him again. He can send a supernatural hand to spook out an arrogant king. And to the people of God in Babylon, it would have felt like God wasn't in control. It would have felt, or may well have felt, like evil was winning the day. But the book of Daniel reminds them that God is the living God. He is sovereign and active in the world, overruling the nations and the lives of individuals too. So it is everywhere. God's sovereignty is everywhere. But just one clear example. Come with me to chapter 3. In chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar has made this huge golden statue. Uh, we don't know what it likes. So, so some people kind of interpret it and think it would have been in the image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. It may have been. It, equally, it could as well have been a big kind of monolith. Whatever it is, it was really tall and it was gold and it was impressive. And Nebuchadnezzar commanded that when this cacophony of music started playing, absolutely everyone were to fall down and worship this image. And of course, Daniel and his friends refuse. Verse 17 and 18, they say, look, no chance. Even if you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace, we won't do it. We trust that God can save us. But nine times through chapter 3, we, we read the words, Nebuchadnezzar set up, or I set up. Nine times Nebuchadnezzar set up this image. And we're meant to be thinking, why on earth would you fall down before something that a man has set up? Why would you do it? It's not alive. 
It's not a god. Why would you worship something that a man has made? Why would you fall down to that? Yes, it looks impressive. Yes, there's a lot of pressure. If you don't do it, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. But, but why would you? It'd be stupid. And yet, it is not, a danger, it is not something that we are immune to. There will be people in this, this, uh, this room who face pressure to, in some sense, worship a, a, an idol, a physical idol. But all of us, there is the danger of worshipping things other than God himself. But the fact that he is the living God means that we should worship him and worship him alone. By worship, I'm using the word in its full sense, so far more than just singing, but it's to, to worship, to love, to treasure, to serve. But don't we get told almost constantly, kind of from the word go at school, that jobs or education and jobs are the most important thing? Money, sex, power, they're the things to, to live for that will bring fulfillments. We're told that we must worship the idols of career, of wealth, of beauty. And if you don't, you're going to lose, you're going to fail, you're going to miss out. We, we hear that, we feel that pressure. But when you stop and think about it, why on earth would you worship sports or business or beauty or, or celebrity or whatever it might be? Why would you? God is the living God. We worship him alone. He alone is living, active, sovereign over the affairs of mankind. He alone is worthy of our worship, our love, our service. He is sovereign. Worship him. Secondly, his kingdom is eternal and serve it. So just flip back to chapter 6, we read the next verse. So, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. Again, through this book, the point is made to us by way of contrast. God's kingdom, unlike these other kingdoms, is eternal. It lasts. It is seen so clearly at the end of chapter 5 as in the space of one night we move from the Babylonian Empire to the, the Empire of the Medes and Persians. One night, one, one empire disappears and a new one arrives. But perhaps the point is mo made most vividly back in chapter 2. And again, do flick back with me there. See, God has given Nebuchadnezzar a dream. And once again, it is of a, a statue and there are these four parts to the statue. The gold, head, and you've got the, the, the middle, torso, the, the legs, and then the feet. And they're made up of four different materials. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, won't in fact even tell everyone the dream. He says, look, you've got to tell me what my dream is and then interpret it to me. And God reveals this dream to Daniel. And this is what Daniel reveals those things to be. Oh, sorry, no, no, no. there are these four kingdoms. These four kingdoms, people generally kind of think, represents um, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. Could well do, 
may not do. The, the point is still the same. Because here's this statue, and then you see in the picture, all of a sudden this big stone is, sorry, this small stone is, is taken out of uh, the rock, and it comes down, it crashes into the feet of this thing, and it, it all crumbles down. And that stone grows and grows and grows and grows to fill the whole earth. And then Daniel gives the meaning to it in chapter 2, verse 44. He says, look, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever just as you saw a stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay and the silver and the gold. A great God has made it known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, the interpretation is sure. And so we know, we too know that God's kingdom alone that will last. So indeed, some 600 years later, an angel would appear to a teenage girl called Mary and say, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then when Jesus came onto the scene and the start of his public ministry, he says that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. With the coming of Jesus brought this kingdom. But while Jesus came the first time, he didn't come immediately to wipe away all the other kingdoms. And it seemed very much like the, the kingdom of the time, the Romans were very much in control. And indeed they were. And in fact, they were soon to crucify Jesus. And it looked like God's kingdom was going to come to a very abrupt halt. But no, this, by his death, he established God's kingdom. Then he rose to life, ascended to heaven, where he is ruling over all. Now just think of those, those first uh, Jews hearing about these events for the first time with the Babylonians in charge, or with the Medo-Persians in charge, or whether it was a bit later, and they had been brought out of exile, but they were living under uh, the, the Greeks or the Romans. Well, what hope for them that those kingdoms won't last forever? Because he is going to establish his eternal kingdom. And for us today, the, the reminder is no less needed. Nations are just like people. They born, they live, and they die. It can be hard for us to imagine that, I think, because our, our lifespans are so short. But, but actually, again, we don't have to think too hard. 100 years ago, I know it's a long time, but relatively speaking, 100 years is not long, right? 100 years ago, the British Empire ruled a quarter of this planet, a quarter of the, the people on this planet, and a quarter of the, near enough a quarter of the territory. And now... It's, it's not anymore. The British Empire is, is no more in that sense. And what is the United Kingdom? That won't last forever. That will go. These four huge empires, huge nations that take up so much of our history, they're all gone now. Empires come, empires go. But God's kingdom alone is eternal. 
And in the face of wicked and hostile and godless leaders and nations, it is deeply comforting to know that their rule won't last, but Jesus' perfect rule will. It's estimated there are about 100 million Christians worldwide who are persecuted for their faith. Much of it state-sponsored. What great encouragement to them that it won't last. And we, we might not feel this anywhere near as sharply as they, but it is getting increasingly hard to live as Christians, to, to remain, um, uh, to, to hold on to the authority of God's words. Yet what great truth to know that God's kingdom alone will last. It also begs the question is, what kingdom are you living for? We are all very good at building up our own little self-sovereignties, the kingdom of me. And I want to do everything I can in order to build up my kingdom, to elevate myself as ruler over myself and then kind of others, to cling on to that power. We see that again so clearly in the case of Nebuchadnezzar. That warning, don't don't live for these little self-tiny kingdoms. Actually live for the kingdom, serve it. Our service for the kingdom now matters because that service for the kingdom, that kingdom endures for all eternity rather than our frail, short little lives. His kingdom is eternal. Serve it. And finally, he saves. So live boldly. Again, chapter 6, and let's read just verse 27. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. In chapter 3 that we, we thought of briefly, God rescued Daniel's three friends from that fiery furnace where they were thrown because they didn't kneel down to that statue. And again, chapter 6, huge similarities with chapter 3. Darius had decreed that, look, you can only pray to, to him What did Daniel do? Well, he stuck to his regular pattern. Three times a day, kneeling down, opening his shutters, praying towards Jerusalem. And he ends up being thrown into a den of lions. He's thrown down to that in verse 16, and his his fate is sealed in verse 17, literally, as this this stone is rolled over. But... In answers to Darius's question that we saw before, has the living God been able to rescue Daniel? The emphatic answer in verse 22 is yes. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And just like in chapter three, when the three friends came out, not a hair on their head singed, totally delivered, Likewise, Daniel here, it wasn't even a close shave. Verse 23, let no kind of harm was found on him. But nine times again through this chapter, we read God delivers and or rescues. God delivers, God rescues. And chapter six, perhaps of all the, the chapters so clearly and so obviously pointing us to the greatest rescue of the Lord Jesus We saw the similarities between Daniel and Jesus, innocence and yet framed to die. We find a leader who's trying their best in order to actually set them free, but ultimately being weak and hopeless to do that. We find them being turned over to be executed, yet trusting in God. We find a stone rolled over the entrance 
and sealed with the king's mark. And yet early in the morning, emerging from the sealed stone to be exalted. Jesus far more fully even than Daniel. God delivers, God saves. Perhaps the biggest danger to, to God's people living in places where it is hard to be faithful is the danger of withdrawing. And it's so easy, isn't it, that, that temptation to, to go underground. You probably felt this, this, this uh, at the school gates or in the workplace. You get a bit of opposition. What, what do you want to do? We, we want to kind of hunker down. And actually, we kind of gather together with each other, you know, because we believe the same things. We stick together and we're going to kind of sit it out and wait for Jesus to come back. As a church, that can lead to being kind of suspicious or wary of, of newcomers. But no, again, we find right through this book fantastic examples of living faithfully and fearlessly in the opposition of great trouble. Back in chapter one, right from the beginning. We find that Daniel and his three friends not, not um, just kind of shrinking away and saying, Look, no, we're not going to um, go along with this re-education. They, they don't withdraw. Rather, they play their part in, in life there, yet not going along with the culture, but being different. In chapter 6, Daniel, you know, I think it's about my temptation, I'm going to shut the, shut the shutters. <laughs> keep praying, no one has to know. Shut my shutters and I'll keep praying. But no, David carries on, Daniel carries on as his practice of praying that way. But going along with the, the status quo, going along with uh, the pressure to, to, to withdraw, does indeed seem to offer a safer future. It does seem to offer an easier life. But yet when we remember that, that God's saving power, God's saving power allows us to risk all for our faith. Because God delivers us from the worst that anyone could do. The very worst that anyone could do is kill us. And God delivers from a fate worse than death. God deliver us from the, 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 the punishment for sin that we rightfully deserve because of what Jesus has done. Our lives in this world will end, but we can trust the living God to deliver us from death. And so live distinctively, unashamed to be different in your behavior at work, in your speech with your friends, the way you relate to your parents. Be different. Be unashamed to speak the gospel, the wonderful life-giving news of the living, sovereign God whose kingdom rules and who saves. What a message to share for people. How important it is that others too come to know this God. Be unashamed to speak. What does it mean to, to live faithfully in Babylon? What does it mean to live faithfully on earth, far from home, as we look forward to heaven? Well, it's to know these things about God, because it is knowing these things about God which enables us to live faithfully. As we know that he is sovereign, he alone is living, he alone is God, well, worship him alone. His kingdom alone is eternal. It's the only one worth serving. And he saves, which means we can trust him to live boldly. Let's pray that these things would all be true for us. 
through this week and beyond. Father, we praise you that you are the living God, enduring forever. We praise you that your kingdom shall never be destroyed and your dominion shall be to the end. We praise you that you deliver and rescue, you work signs and wonders, that you save Daniel, yes, but that you save all of your people through the Lord Jesus. We praise you that that is who you are. Please would we remember those things, that that would enable and strengthen us to live faithfully for you now. In Jesus' name, amen.